0: Communication skills are critical to being effective in a position, in a job, in a career.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 76, and today's guest is Amy Carr. Amy is the chief digital and marketing officer at lingerie brand Third Love. She's an accomplished marketer, having spent time with major brands such as The Gap and Sephora, and she's also a founder of beauty brand PYT Beauty. She offers up some interesting thoughts about direct mail, back to the office, and how networking has kept her informed of the newest challenges and tactics in marketing. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook podcast. Today, I'm joined by Amy Carr. Amy has been in retail for over 20 years, focusing on marketing, digital, and CRM, and being part of the rise of e-commerce. She's currently the chief marketing and digital officer of Third Love, and prior to that, she spent five years building her own company as founder of PYT Beauty, bringing clean beauty to the middle market. Before founding PYT Beauty, Amy spent 13 years in retail at Gap, Inc., where she assumed many roles, including strategy, finance, consumer insights, e-commerce, and direct marketing. She did it all. Amy then joined Sephora with a focus on CRM and personalized marketing, consumer insights, and analytics. It was there that she gained a deep understanding of how customers think and what drives their purchase decisions. Amy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Nice to see you.
1: Nice to see you too, and uh, it's good to uh, catch up. We're going to uh, get started in the show, much like uh, we get started in a lot of these shows. Uh, we ask the uh, the guest to speak a little bit about themselves, kind of the first story uh, where they were brought up, you know, maybe a little bit about your family. And you know, usually as as people are probably bored hearing me say after seventy five shows or so, oftentimes, so many times, uh, the guests early, you know, part of their life, Uh, was somewhat predictive and foreshadowed what they would do in their career. So let's see if that's the case for you.
0: My upbringing influenced my future life in some ways in that my dad was a conservationist and a longtime conservationist here um, in the Bay Area and then on a national level. And he really instilled in my sisters and me the importance of taking care of our earth, about the land, public lands, keeping farmland so we can feed the country. And really that flowed forward many years later, as I launched a clean, sustainable beauty company, really focused on we don't want to put chemicals on our face or into our waterway system when we wash them off our face. You know, I think that was part of my upbringing and something that influenced and how I brought this company to life. From a marketing standpoint, I can't pinpoint one thing (laughs) in my upbringing, but, you know, I was always a very extroverted former cheerleader, rah, rah. So that just kind of lends to, I think, more of the marketing personality that you need to be successful as a marketer.
1: Okay. Well, we won't ask you to do any cheers uh, as part okay. of the, the show. Okay. Well, that's that's really interesting, and we'll come back to uh, you know the company that you started, you know PYT. Uh, you know one of the things you know that I, I saw that was interesting. You know we both got our start at Big Eight accounting firms. I was an auditor for uh, what was two Ross in those days, uh, and you spent some time uh, doing that. How did you get into Big Eight accounting?
0: Yeah. Um, by the time I got into it, it was down to six. By the time I left, it was down to four. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of just fell into it. I've always been um, a math geek at heart. And accounting was very interesting in that it was very finite. I knew there was only one answer. It always balanced. I like that finality of it. You know, my my degrees are both yin and yang. They are in finance, but they're also in marketing and entrepreneurship. And so I kind of like the balance of the right brain, left brain. When I was in college, they were recruiting and I ended up interviewing for a whole bunch of jobs. And the person who interviewed me from Arthur Anderson, I just liked, I clicked with him and I really thought, okay, I don't see myself at a desk job, but if I'm working for this person, I would have a lot of fun. And I did. And I, you know, I think those accounting firms do a great job of bringing a hundred people together and creating community and really giving you a lot of business experience early on so it was a great launching pad for me.
1: Yeah, and for me it was it was very similar. I met my wife there. She was a year behind me, but you know, you talk about, you know, this group of, you know, lots of young people coming together right out of college and you know, it was very social for us and but I I did realize uh, after a while, you know, I was on the auditing side and like you I liked the finality of the debits and the credits, but in auditing, you know there wasn't that same finality. it was um I don't know it just didn't didn't strike it for me so but then you spent some time on the consulting side. Talk about that a bit
0: I eventually I don't want to say I got bored, but i there was too much repetitiveness, and so I jumped ship and went to the consulting side for the last year and a half um of my five years in at Arthur Anderson, which was really interesting in the business operations side. So we were doing a lot of process mapping operations, understanding how to um, do change management in an organization, things I'd never seen. So it was great. It was at an interesting time when um, I too met my husband at Arthur Anderson. Uh, (laughs) My husband ended up going to business school. So we were going to move and I just decided, well, I should go to business school too. And so I did. (laughs) And I left accounting um I left consult I left Arthur Anderson consulting on that time at that time and went to business school for two years and didn't and took a different path
1: and uh, extended period of time with a big company, the gap uh seems like you've got you know a lot of different experiences there. Uh, talk about your experience there. Maybe you know they uh, obviously it was focused on c r m and strategy, and you know I think when you were there and you know in the mid. 2000, you 2000s, know, 2000, 2005 or six, it seems kind of early for brands to be talking about CRM uh, and the strategy associated with it. Is that just my perception or was it really early?
0: No, we were really early. I mean, we were doing things, you know, I can still remember the company selling us the concept of retargeting. There, they, this was a new idea and we jumped on board because we were, you know, we couldn't believe you could... Find someone and then follow them around the internet, showing them the gap genes over and over and over again. We were one of the first, first players in that market space. But, you know, when, when I came in, really it was around direct mail and email. SMS hadn't even been really a thing yet. And it was around how do we tie data together and, you know, mind blowing that we could email and direct mail the same person and then like look at it together in that data set. I had incredible leadership and I think gap as a whole has done this. They, they just had incredible leaders, real visionaries in the, in the, in the space, in the retail space. So, you know, it was for me, I just kept learning. I, they kept giving me new things to do. They kept expanding my role or shifting me to something else and giving. And so as I was learning so much, it was like drinking from a fire hose for 10 years straight.
1: And there's a lot of that that happens, especially when you're involved in something, you know, like the web and, and CRM, you know, that's new. Um, you know, you don't have any bad habits yet because you haven't had any habits yet. You mentioned, you know, direct mail and 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 well, maybe in catalog. Direct mail is kind of or catalog has kind of had, you know, a resurgence over these last you know, five to ten years or seven years, these digitally native brands that have you know moved back uh, to using paper. So you know, think back to your days at the Gap, and now with where you are at Third Love, and we'll we'll get that in more detail. But how does direct mail, in your mind, play a role uh, for a retailer?
0: Well, you have to touch it to throw it away. So right away, I think it's a it's a great media. <laughs> it's not select all, delete, and fifty emails go out the door into the trash bin. You know, there is this, I, I call it the three second arc to the trash while you're looking. And so you have a chance to catch her eye. to She will actually see it. We do some direct mail. We're we're testing around, but it is clearly evolved. Whereas we used to just buy lists back in the gapping days and try and track them and, you know, see if we could match their spend back to when they came in and have a coupon code. Today, I can find people that have been sitting on the site and I can send them a direct mail targeted to exactly what they were looking for. And, you know, so the data behind it has gotten so much more scientific, but for sure we use it at Third Love. It's been a very successful media for us in conjunction with all the other digital things that you have to be doing.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I always steer away from what I call the A word of attribution uh, because nobody ever wants to talk about attribution, but Um, you know, let's, let's, yeah, let's not get too deep into it, but think about, you know, you, you have a, a marketing budget and you're trying to develop the media mix. How do you think about, you know, where you divide up your dollars to spend and it could be at third love. It could be at any of the businesses that you've had responsibility for.
0: It's tricky because attribution got pretty good for a while and then now it's getting harder as people do things like clear cookies and set up privacy walls and I think, you know, knowing exactly what's working is really, really hard in today's market. For us, the way, and I'll I'll talk mostly about Third Lab, because at PYT, we had a tiny marketing budget. (laughs) We do our best to do attribution, and I'd say we do a pretty good job of that. We really look at kind of what has been working. We try to stay on the forefront of new and interesting technologies. We talk to other non-competitive companies all the time to find out what they think is working. And then, you know, it's a little bit of, of test and learn. We can see pushing a product in one channel. It did that work. Go back to our, our product data. Um, but it's a lot of stitching that together on the back end to really understand what's working and what's not working. And it's a little bit of gut. It's a mix of gut and science right now.
1: Well, it's the both sides of the brain, right? You talked about the accounting side and the and the creative side of the marketing side. We'll come back to uh, PYT, but let's keep going with Third Love. Uh, we didn't really you know, address, for those that don't know Third Love, what kind of a business is it?
0: We are an intimate apparel business and we sell mostly bras and underwear. Our positioning and our competitive advantage is really that we've created these incredibly comfortable fitting bras. And, you know, as a woman, when you are comfortable, (laughs) everything else gets better because when you're not comfortable, you're just annoyed. And, you know, so we've really created these bras that like fit really well, are so comfortable. And are very supportive so that you can go out on the rest of your day and not have to worry about that.
1: You know, it's funny. Um, I didn't know you. You didn't know me. And, I, and I'm and i forgetting now because it's been a few months. I forget exactly what came first. Either I saw you on, on LinkedIn or uh, my wife and I were in Florida and you guys had just opened a new store in Ah, the Boca Boca. Town Center, right? And we were walking, I think it's right outside Nordstrom, and we're walking by, and I see, you know, this third love business, and I might have seen you on LinkedIn. I was like, all right, Debbie, you need to go in and, you know, check this store out. I want to see it too, because this woman, Amy, you know, uh, I've met her and I see she's just gone to this company. Anyway, long story short, she bought, you know, a number of things and is now a super fan of, of your product. So see how the marketing helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, you know, stay in in third love. You know, you talked about, this is an interesting thing because not a lot of businesses do this. They don't seem to make the time. You talk to non-competitive brands, you're saying, to see what they're doing. What kind of things are you interested in learning?
0: Just to see if they've heard of new technologies that do X better, maybe, or an agency they're loving working with that's really crushing it or what different media models they're running and having success with. And then some of it's around like organization and people and how are you organized for success and coming out of COVID where I've got like everyone all over the country, how do I, you know, create culture and a team that can trust and rely on each other? So, you know, Sometimes it's like the conversation with, you know, another founder friend at my daughter's gymnastics meet, and sometimes it's deliberate, does anyone know someone here, because I think they're killing it in the market, and can we get a call with them? So, and and Heidi, who's our co-founder here at Third Love, does a lot of that too. And it's just good. I mean, we're all in this together.
1: Absolutely. Um, I've always been a, a big networker and, you know, people, I was just talking to a fellow that I had met 10 years ago. Um, I don't even remember how we were introduced. He called me out of the blue. He wanted me to do some mentoring for an early stage company because he knew uh, that I do a bunch of that. And, uh, you know, I, I try to, uh, as I'm mentoring early stage uh, companies and people that are early in their career, there's never enough networking, in my opinion, that you could never be doing. enough.
0: I agree. I've created a web of people that I can trust and rely on, and it's invaluable.
1: You mentioned culture and and all you know coming out of Covid. How are you dealing with uh, you know the fact that you may have people all over the country? Are you ultimately planning to bring them back to an office, or are you continuing on you know with a remote workforce?
0: If I had my way, everyone would work in one office and you'd be in the office three days a week. I think some people are really enjoying this work from home thing, and I think some people want an office, and so we have to do this happy blend. But for me, being in the office, sitting side by side, you get work done faster and more efficiently, and it's better quality, particularly in marketing, where it's a very creative and we're making changes on the fly. As we talk right now, Mark, I have a team moving into temporary office space down in L.A., they They are, they have been, you know, texting me and, you know, who wants this cube and who wants to go here? We have two, we will have two marketing creative office, digital offices, one in LA, one in San Francisco. I'd say about 75% of the team will be in one of those two markets, which is great. And then, you know, hoping at some point to get everyone a hundred percent, but we do have some very key quality people that are not in those markets and for reasons They can't move to those markets, so we will continue to support them remotely. But I do think they're missing. They're going to miss out on some of the side conversations, the hallway talk, the stuff that, like you and I know, early on in our career is really important. You know, you catch the CEO in the bathroom, or you know, you're grabbing lunch, and you know, she or he mentions something about something you did that they really liked, or and we're just missing that today. And I feel for these. Younger, more junior people that they don't even know what they're missing. And so we're trying to create that now. So yes, people are going back to the office. Some are going kicking and screaming, but most people are very excited to go back into an office space. And I personally spend, you know, at least a quarter of my time in Los Angeles and based here in San Francisco, you know, so that I can be present so that I can be there and meet people. and we're doing team events and lunches. and I am just going back to the basis of let me get to know you. What makes you tick? What do you like to do? Do you like working here? (laughs) And how can we, you know, fuel your career with what people do better when they like what they do and who they do it with?
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, uh, you talk about technologies and and looking for new technologies, um, and we've talked about uh, you know this uh, before on the show, the shiny object syndrome. How do you deal with that and the fact that so many people are coming at you with new technology? You have so much to do. You have a limited budget. What do you do?
0: That is something I am actually of late really grappling with because I probably get a hundred solicitations a day now on try my product, meet with my agency, I do this thing better. And it's really hard to sift good from bad in a solicitation email. It kind of goes back to, have I known anyone that's worked with you? For me personally now, I've stopped taking all those phone calls and I forward it to one of the directors on my team that that technology would support and I let them vet it. But I have been very clear. They don't need to vet everything. They really need to like look at the site, look at what they're offering. Is anyone else using this? But it is, it is tricky because there is a lot out there. There is a lot.
1: There's a lot. And eventually, I imagine you, you'll figure out a, a way to use AI in some of the work that you're doing. Probably, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, many vendors that I've talked to is like, look, AI has its moment because it's getting all this publicity. But so much of the technology that we have on our websites today is already being powered by AI.
0: Yeah, I'd say third love. we haven't used a lot of AI. It's on our radar to really think about how we use AI. My 14-year-old son could probably give me a a better um, tutorial as I caught him writing an essay last night using AI. Oh, yeah. I mean, these kids are really smart on the AI. But I read his essay and went, you didn't write that. (laughs) Fess up.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think we are eager to try AI in, particularly in terms of product descriptions on on product pages, and you know really making them extremely succinct, succinct clear legible you know i think the world is our oyster in that ai and i do think 5 years from now a lot of jobs will be different i don't want to say they'll be replaced but they will be different they'll be managing the ai instead of writing the copy as much as they do
1: yeah, I think you're right. There's no question it's, it's coming. It's, it's here. Um, and I've read a lot of stories about just what you you said, that there will be jobs. Uh, some will go away and some will definitely be changed than the structure of, of them today. The devil is in the details. You probably have heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. As you talk about, um, you know, some of the work that you're doing uh, or have done, loyalty seems to have played a part in, in a number of the businesses that you've been involved with. And I've been part of uh, loyalty programs that either I've built or ones that predated me. How do you think about loyalty and, you know, the ability to measure whether or not that loyalty program you have in place is actually doing what it's supposed to?
0: I am a big proponent of loyalty programs. There's a number of benefits from loyalty program. The, one of the biggest benefits is the data comes together very nicely. <laughs> and you know, it's organized around a customer instead of how we're doing it today if you don't have a loyalty program. And I do think you know today it's probably organized in most companies around an email address if they don't have a program. And that works to some extent. I have three email addresses. I use them interchangeably. You know, or shipping addresses if you're a D2C company. It gets very tricky when you have retail stores. We have 10 retail stores at third love. So how do we match that data back? And I just think it's it is hard to measure the incrementality, but you know, I do think in the middle of your file. So I don't think they do very much for your super loyal customers. So I'll put that out there right now. I think they're gonna be loyal with or without a program, but that's a tiny small part of your business. I think that middle pack of your customers that, you know, when push comes to shove and they have choice A and B and A and B look relatively the same, the loyalty program can be that value exchange to get them to choose your product over the other one. And, you know, really using the data to be able to market them in a personalized way so that it's relevant and compelling. um, I think loyalty programs play a huge role in that.
1: My wife will be on the lookout for the third love program, for sure.
0: The next generation, I think they're really into loyalty programs. So even more so than our generation.
1: You know, think about that, you know, um, I, maybe I'll dig on that a bit. When I was at Steve Madden um, and this, I, I've been uh, gone five years from there and I spent seven years there. We built a loyalty program, you know, very millennial customer and at least at the time. And, you know, one of the things that we we did in building the program, it was less about thinking that we were going to generate incrementality. I mean, we wanted incrementality, but it was about a data capture um, so that we could enhance our marketing capability. But in a bunch of the research that we did, we found that the people that were our customers, it wasn't just about rewards and points. They were interested in experiences and other types of things beyond the rewards. What do you think about that?
0: I think that particularly this next generation experiences are key. Um, We're seeing it even right now in, you know, in consumer spend, right? They're spending on travel and experiences and in-person, you know, classes or things like that. I think it's harder on the retailer side to create a really compelling experience unless you have something that lends really well to it. So I'll give you the example that's like one of my favorite examples in experiential retailing that does a great job of creating experiences. And it's the American Girl doll. If you've ever been in any of those stores.
1: Yes, I've been there.
0: You're bringing the doll to the flipping hospital and getting her ears pierced. And I mean, it is, I don't want to say a racket because it's not, it's brilliant. But you walk out of there and you're like, wow, I spent $300 and got a tiny little dress for the doll. And, but she's gotten her nails done (laughs) sat with me at a very expensive lunch of mac and cheese and you know I think they do a really good job on the experience side you know I think in the intimate side there are some experiences we haven't tapped into them as much as we can you know but it's a matter of what does the consumer want on the experience side in a very intimate experience in general right so putting on undergarments and we have yet to tap in we have yet to crack that nut
1: so you spent uh, a good part of uh, your career with PYT Beauty. So what was the void in the market that you saw and you know what you know kind of was the 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 reason for uh, your foray into that area?
0: Yeah, we really saw this void in clean beauty that was both affordable and efficacious. And at the time 6 7 years ago when when the idea was kicking around 6 7 years ago now that that didn't exist. And the big companies weren't getting behind it, um, nor were the big retailers, because don't bite the hand that feeds you. And I think um, we saw this market opportunity to fill that place, and you know that still has been where we we are positioned. I'd say, you know, COVID was not friendly to makeup, and so it was a very very tough eighteen months, two years before unless you had skincare, it was extremely friendly to everyone wanted to do their own face treatments. Um, makeup was a little different. You weren't going out, you weren't putting on makeup. And, you know, so it was a tough couple of years. And I think over those three years, just with people being so conscious of germs and chemicals and other things, the big companies really all got behind clean beauty. And now it's extremely crowded and it's it's hard to compete as a small business against these—I will call them behemoths of makeup—because they have a lot of money to throw around.
1: And so, what's the status of PYT today?
0: To be determined. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, got it. Well, you're busy with third love, so I understand. One—one one of the things I wanted to talk about, and it was a little bit—we we, kind of touched on it when we were talking about uh, back to work and working from home. You know, about communication. And, you know, how you view yourself as a communicator and how, you know, you working with, you know, more junior people in your team, you help them along in becoming better communicators.
0: Communication skills are critical to being effective in a position, in a job, in a career. I very much worry about the younger generation missing out on some of these key communication skills because They only text or they put together a story on Snapchat and that's their way of communicating to their friends what they're up to. I really find the one-on-one experiences with people and really developing, like I said, these close relationships, helping them find their voice, bringing them to meetings that perhaps they weren't invited to, getting the chance to speak up. I never like to present anything. I always want to push it down and have my team present something, whatever work they did, and I think it's really critical to giving junior people uh, that opportunity to really practice both in the written communication, which, you know, has turned into basically PowerPoint junkies um, or slides junkies here at Third Love. And then in the, the oral communication, which I hope does not get lost in the in the next generation.
1: You've worked in in a couple of different Types of companies, Um, you know, the Gap for the most part, I, I guess maybe all was private label and selling the Gap brand. And I think Third Love is, you know, the Gap brand and PYT was, and there was time at Sephora, right? I didn't make that up.
0: Yes, I All was right. at Sephora for a couple years All right.
1: And so Sephora has got is selling other people's product, other brands' products as well. how How do you think about the difference between you know being a marketer where you're selling private label, your own brand, versus you know a combination of your own brand and others?
0: Retailers hold a lot of power, especially big ones, in how they communicate other people's brands and what they do and how they can make you successful we have a lot more creative freedom inside a brand like third love or the gap where we're selling our own product. Cause it's only us to decide how we go to market with that. When you're at a Sephora or a, a bigger company um, that sells other people's products, it's a collaboration with the brand and you. And, you know, I think that's slightly harder. If you have a, if you have a path and their path is different, it's hard sometimes to bring that together without just being the bully in the room and saying no this is how we're going to do it and i think it's just it's, it's a balance but it is definitely different and harder i've been a brand in a big retailer i've been a big retailer with the brands and then i've done these private label things and it is clear to me that the big retailer has most of the power.
1: Right. And and how do you think about wholesale? You know, so if you're the retailer and let's say you have a private label brand and um, we'll call it third love for a second, but I don't obviously don't want you to say anything that you can't say, you know, if you're third love, you know, and you're selling direct to consumer through, uh, you know, through the web and through stores, you know, is there a place for a brand like that in wholesale as well?
0: Absolutely. Because you're never going to reach everyone in the direct consumer. And I do think of late customers are coming back and shopping in stores. So you, you mentioned we have 10 stores, which are very exciting for us because you can touch and feel the product in real life. But we're also looking to say, where else could we put our product where our, we know our customer is? You know, I love, there's some great examples of game companies starting in Starbucks, right? Because Cranium, I think is the the business case that was talked about many years ago, but where can we be the cranium in Starbucks? Like where are our customers? What other retailers make sense, even if they seem kind of left of center? Um, I also think, you know, one of the big changes over the last 10 years is Amazon and we can't ignore it anymore. And it is a giant retail behemoth. And every product company out there has to think about how they're going to be on Amazon because everyone's customer is for sure shopping on Amazon. And, to some extent, if you're not on it, they're telling that that word, that you know, third love bra. they're selling that to someone else that is there. And people like to shop on Amazon. It's free shipping, and it shows up tomorrow. We can't, as direct to consumer companies beat that. That shipping is on un- it would bankrupt most d two c companies,
1: yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree with you more on on that. I think the Amazon trucks here daily for sure. We are getting down to the uh, final uh, few minutes of our show. This has been really interesting. I've enjoyed talking to you. I do this uh, two-minute drill at the end of the show. Seven questions, one word answers. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you?
0: In the apparel space, I love Veronica Beard.
1: Okay. Favorite app on your phone? Contacts. (laughs) (laughs) Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from?
0: I bought stuff at Alice and Olivia the other day, which is another apparel company.
1: Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were?
0: Prioritization. Sometimes it becomes very hard because I do like, I do think of myself as like lots of capacity, but I need to get better at saying no.
1: A charitable organization that you're passionate about.
0: Extremely passionate about my father's organization, American Farmland Trust.
1: And if you had one superpower, what would it be?
0: To not be able to sleep.
1: Ah, well, I I guess that's a superpower of mine because I don't sleep anymore. So
0: (laughs) if I I didn't sleep, I could do so much more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Other than family, what's your most prized possession?
0: Probably my house, because it is my my place that I feel super secure and very comfortable.
1: Okay. Where can people reach out to you on social media, uh, Amy?
0: Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm Amy R.G. Carr, as in Renee Grassi Carr. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Amy Carr.
1: Okay, great. And uh, we'll be looking for third love. I'm sure my wife's going to drag me into the store the next time we get into Boca. We'll have to see uh, where else uh, you have a store in in the New Jersey area. Um, It was really nice to talk to you. wish you uh, good luck. And I hope uh, business will continue to be well for you.
0: Thank you. It was nice speaking with you.
1: That's it. Today's game ball goes to Amy Carr for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing strategies were as follows. Number one, do not underestimate the power of having regular conversations with non-competitive companies about your business. Even if you sell lingerie and the other guys sell hard goods, there's so much that you can learn from one another. Build and maintain a network of go-to people. It will serve you well in your career. And number two, many businesses are getting back to the office. While work from home has served us all well in many cases, companies want to get people back to the office, even if on a hybrid basis. As Amy mentioned, bringing people back to the office allows for decisions to be made faster and also allows for better work outcomes. Even if your business does not have mandatory office time, Especially if you're early in your career, get back to the office and interact with your colleagues. You'll be better for it in the long term. And number three, I love the few comments that Amy made about direct mail. You have to touch it to throw it away. And there's a three-second arc to the trash. Direct mail definitely plays a role in today's marketing environment, regardless of the age of your customer. Think about how it fits into your media mix. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the devil is in the details.